A few weeks ago, we answered the question, does God still perform miracles? And as a part of that message, I asked you the question, what are some examples of miracles? And we answered with some examples, a wide range of miraculous things that God has done, and, and maybe a few examples of some worldly things that were labeled miraculous. And, and each of these worldly examples, I'll call them, we, um, it wasn't just God's action that made us consider it miraculous, but it was the surprise. It was an unexpected, unnatural thing. The miracle on ice was a surprise or unexpected event because I, it, this is 1980s and the, the top you know, hockey team in the world, but four years in a row was the, the Soviets, the Russians. And, and here are the, um, the Americans, the young amateur people that really hadn't even played that long together. And they went through and, and did that. And they called that the miracle on ice. Now, was God a part of that? Well, God's a part of everything, you know. Um, but, but it was miraculous because it was such a surprise. No one saw that coming. The miracle on the Hudson. I mean, what an amazing story. God certainly had his hand all over that plane and the people on it. And it was a surprise that the plane could, could survive a, a catastrophic engine failure on takeoff of one of the largest cities in the world and then safely land, I'll call it, they call it ditching, but land on a river without a single loss of life. Amazing, amazing. Again, miraculous because it's surprising. It's, it's, we wouldn't have seen that coming. And of course, a seasonal favorite, a miracle on 34th Street. Um, that's on playing right now. All the classics of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacations, like on every night now. But anyway, what, what a surprise that it was Santa Claus himself that was talking to the children of the department store. And this time of year, we mark the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, which truly is a miracle, the story of, of Jesus. This supernaturally conceived, humbly born, divinely ordained incarnate of God. But the birth and life of our Lord, this miracle of Christmas was not a surprise. This morning, we're gonna take a look at the foretelling of Christ's birth and, and some of the prophecies fulfilled by his life. So we're gonna start with, with a brief Bible lesson. When the Bible mentions a prophet, it's referencing someone who spoke on God's behalf whether they received a vision or a dream or something or, or an angel spoke to them and they turn and tell people, they prophesy. Sometimes it's a prophesying, an explanation of something in the past or something going on now or, or they're telling of something that'll happen in the future. And some examples of people that, that would do some prophecy was Abraham. And he was, he was called a prophet in Genesis 27. Now we don't think of him as a prophet, but he did speak on God's behalf. And Moses certainly did. Deuteronomy 34.10 says, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses. He is revered as a prophet. And Samuel, who, who anointed kings on God's behalf, 1 Samuel 3.19-20 tells that story. And David, whose psalms are considered prophetic. These men spoke on God's behalf, but more commonly we think of the men who are called prophets and whose stories are recorded in their books of the Bible. And these are Isaiah. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, who we talked about last week. And this collection of books in the Bible are called the major prophets. And then there are 12 other uh, people referred to as minor prophets. I want to be very clear. The, def the difference between the major prophets and the minor was how long they wrote. The major prophets are longer books and the minor are smaller, but no less important. And they're valuable teachings. And, and there include people like Hosea and Joel and Amos, and Obadiah, and Jonah, and Micah, and Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and of course, uh, Malachi. My kids always called it Malachi, and it is so hard for me not just to go Malachi. <laughs> Malachi, I'm so glad I got that out right. 
These Old Testament texts delivered words of God's encouragement, and they gave words of God's plan. They gave people direction. And just as often, there'd be words of warning for God's people. In fact, Isaiah was very, very detailed with words of warning about, uh, to the Israelites about the people that were you know, in, in Babylon. And as we continue to prepare ourselves this Advent season for the coming birth of Christ our Savior, we're going to take the next few minutes to hear the prophecies, these words of God delivered through Isaiah and others about the miracle of Christ's birth and what he came to do. So let me start by even the prophecies, even the stories that said Jesus is coming, even those stories were, still, were, were prophesied as well. Isaiah 43 through 4 spoke of a voice crying out to prepare the way of the Lord in the desert. And Malachi 3.1 prophesied of a messenger preparing God's way. And in Malachi 4, 5 through 6, God sends the prophet Elijah before the great and awesome day the Lord comes. Okay, these are Old Testament prophecies that says someone is going to come to tell you that Jesus is coming. Now we jump ahead to the, to the New Testament, John 1, 29 through 34. Now read this. It says, the next day John, this is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I come baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. John the Baptist fulfilled the prophecy foretelling Jesus coming. And then John gave this testimony. He says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, referring to Jesus. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with holy water or Holy Spirit. I've seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. And this is kind of told in a different way in Matthew 17, 9 through 13. It says, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? They're referencing this prophecy. And Jesus replied, to be sure Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him but have done to him everything they wished in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their heads. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. The miracle of Jesus' birth himself is foretold. From this morning scripture, remember that Al read, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in the book of Luke, 131 through 35, we find the story of the angel approaching young Mary. And we read this this morning in Bible study. It says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This fulfills the prophecy that we read about in Isaiah. And, and it also fulfills one told in Micah and 2 Samuel that said he would be a, the, a descendant of David and he would come and be in Bethlehem. 
And the miracle of the new covenant, the new covenant, which we celebrate with communion is foretold. Jeremiah 31, 31, we find these words. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Now, there are several places in the New Testament where the fulfillment of this prophecy is noted. And one in particular is Matthew 26, 28, and also in Luke twenty two twenty. 20. And you'll hear me say these almost exact words when we take communion. It says, this is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And in Luke, it says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The apostle Paul references this new covenant several times in 2 Corinthians and Hebrews. And listen to the words from Hebrews 8, 6 through 13. It's the apostle Paul. It says, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, these are God's words now, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. See, now he's quoting the prophecy. It will not be like the covenant I made with the ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know of me for the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete now dated will soon disappear. I want you to hear what this means, this new covenant that Jesus came to fulfill. The laws, okay, what's right and wrong is, is no longer written. It's written in our minds and in our hearts. He will be our God and we will be his people. We now have a relationship with him. And I love this. Is no longer will they teach their neighbor Know the Lord, because everybody will know the Lord. Everybody will have an opportunity for a relationship. You don't have to go to anyone and say, pray for me because I can't. You can say, pray for me in support of me, in encouragement of me, alongside me, but you can pray too. That was new. And this is the great part. It says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That's a great promise. So again, the prophecy was that there would be a new covenant. And Jesus came and fulfilled that with his blood. And the miracle of Jesus' work, all the things he did was foretold. Isaiah 61, one through two says, the Messiah would do life affirming and redemptive deeds. Now, as we study his life, we know that to be true. And in Luke 4, 16, 21, we find Jesus, he enters a synagogue on the Sabbath. And scripture says, which is his custom. Now, Jesus attended church regularly. Okay? If Jesus needed to go to church and have a relationship with the Father, how much more do we, you know, as flawed as we are? But Jesus stood up in the synagogue and he read these words. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And scripture continues, says, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
He says, I've come. I am him. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 says, The Messiah would be the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. We know this to be true. We call Jesus by these names ourselves. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the wonderful counselor. Jesus, son of mighty God, the prince of peace. And Isaiah also foretold Jesus, the Messiah, would be a great light, a light to the nations of the world. Matthew 4, 16 describes it this way. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadows of death of light has dawned. Luke 2, 32 describes Jesus as a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. And the book of John in him was life and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. It's amazing. Jesus was the light. And if you think about what that means, not only to, to cast light, to, to illuminate things, but to show a way, to, to be a hope. Matthew 12, 15 through 21 says, Jesus withdrew from that place where he was teaching. It says, a large crowd followed him and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah said, here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Isaiah 52 also says that the Messiah would bear our sins and suffer in our place and serve as a willing sacrifice. We know the story of the resurrection. If it weren't for the resurrection, Christmas would have so much less meaning. It, you know, it's, the power of the birth isn't just the miraculousness of it. The power of the birth is what happened in those 30 years of his life, specifically in those three years of his teaching, and then more importantly, in how it ended. Because Jesus came to be that sacrifice, that blameless sacrifice. In Matthew 20, 20, he says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And not only that, it says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It demands a sacrifice. It demands a price to be paid, and he took that. It's kind of interesting, and we talked a little bit about this this morning, is, is the, the role of the, the shepherds and the sheep. And one of the things explained in Exodus, back in Exodus, is the description of the sheep, that it needed to be a, a clean lamb. You know, uh, you don't give God your worst. You give him your best. And in, to sacrifice your best, your, your clean, your, your uninjured. In fact, it said the lamb should not even have a bone broken on it. So we're not giving, you know, God our, you know, our, our leftovers or our castaways. He's saying brings this. And... And this actually referencing back to that, Jesus' death fulfilled this. Jesus was the blameless lamb, the unblemished lamb. And not a bone was broken on him, even in his, in his crucifixion. He fulfilled even that with a gruesome death. Now we know the Bible is God's word. It is God-breathed. It's divinely inspired in wisdom. And, and these are teachings that they're recorded in written form by man. And the book literally contains thousands of promises that God has made to his children, and it contains words describing the fulfillment of those promises. So friends, 
The unbreakable covenants he has made with you is being fulfilled every single day of your life. He has promised to bless you. And whatever blessing you're experiencing right now, whether it's something very profound and very obvious to you or some of the subtle, subtle blessings that we talked about even a few minutes ago in our time of offering, those promises of a blessed, a blessed life are being fulfilled every day. And they culminate in the keeping of his promise to give you an eternal life with him in heaven. And these, these blessings, they're miraculous and that they, they are works of God. But they're not a surprise. Just like the miracle of the birth and, and life of Jesus, they were already known and told to you. Do you hate surprises? Yeah, I do. We're horrible. If we buy something for each other for Christmas, we're already exchanging it. We don't, eh, you know. There's not much open under the tree because we bought it too early, so here you go. I mean, we don't, we don't like surprises. But, but do, how about this? Do you hate the anxiety and fear that you feel because you're worried about something? Do you want to know what happens next? Open God's word and find the truth. He may not give you the specifics, but you say, God, I, I don't understand. How in the world are we going to get through this pandemic? You know, pray to God, ask him. You know, he promises that he's with us in all times of all trial, that he brings health to the sick. He brings strength to the weak, Okay. You don't have to act surprised when something amazing happens in your life. I mean, yes, it's like, that's fantastic. I was, I was praying for this and I got it. But that's not a surprise because God is keeping his promise. In fact, it shouldn't be surprised at all. It should just be met with thankfulness. But let me leave you with a few con- questions to consider. What is it that God's work is doing for you right now that you should be recognizing as his work? What, are, what is going on in your life that's miraculous that you may not think is a miracle? Are you letting it surprise you or are you just claiming the promise that he's already made? How will you show gratitude? Will you do it in words? Will you say, God, I thank you? Will you do it in action by, by praising him and worshiping him? Will you tell others about it? Like the shepherds who heard the great news when the angel said, today this day is born. A savior, and they ran to see him. And when they saw him, what they do? They left and told everyone. Will you respond with a faith-growing response as you realize the miraculous things that he's doing, that he promised all along that he'd be doing? Friends, I want to invite you. If you're not sure what a miracle looks like, if you're not sure what the blessings in your life looks like, if you're just wondering where God is in this moment, let's talk. I may not have the answer, but I know who does, and we'll talk to him about it. We'll find out what's going on. We'll seek words of encouragement and support as we we dive in this together. Let's say a prayer. Father God, this Advent season, as we prepare for the coming of your son into this world, And even though it's thousands of years later and he's already come and left and remains with us now today, we still honor this wonderful, miraculous birth each year, December 25th. And Lord, as the world just does its thing, getting ready for Christmas Day and then does its thing going on to the next holiday after that, Lord, let us pause. Let us remember that Christmas, that Advent is never out of season. Lord, let us share with joy the blessings in our lives. And Lord, as we recognize the miracles that you perform in this world, let us 
remember in our hearts that they're not a surprise. You're just fulfilling the promises that you've made for us long before we were even born. A good life, a blessed life, a life that you are a part of. Father God, help us to have the courage and the opportunity to share this good news with others. And we thank you for this. Amen.